clerks have sold us a ticket to paradise, so we're off to have a moon age daydream in a strawberry mansion. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Zer Phelan, and this is your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Off Screen and for another fun-filled week of cinematic goodness to uh, hopefully distract you from the more miserable woes of the world. It's been a sad week, so let's have some cinema that we can have on the side to enjoy and get some escapism. And we've picked a particularly interesting movie for you for Monday night. I say interesting, it is a John Carpenter movie, so it's inherently interesting to me. So welcome back, Zara Phelan. In the meanwhile, we will, of course, get to that one. How's your week been, Zara? Hey, it's been a pretty tiring, actually, and I'm just a bit smug right now because I'm not the one with technical issues, as usual. Yes, it's me, it's me, isn't it, yeah, for a change. <laughs> uh, let's talk, then, about Strawberry Mansion, first up, which is uh, kind of an indie, low-budget kind of take on something like the Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon. You remember the Adjustment Bureau? It was like 10 years ago. Yes, I do, yeah. Not very vaguely, but, yeah, I do remember it. So this takes place in a future, sort of a Black Mirror type thing. Takes place in a future where the government basically not only records your dreams, uh, well, it's left for you to sort of record them. You record your dreams and then you file them and the government taxes them. And there's an auditor from effectively the IRS of this. They're called their own different version. But sort of the, the dream IRS who turns up at a remote house or a remote isolated house one day, meets a kooky old lady, says, hi, uh, I'm here to audit you. And turns out that she's, she's keeping her dreams on old, unfileable, like, VHS tapes. And he has to do the audit by going through this wealth of VHS uh, material that effectively make up her dreams. And uh, as he does this, he, he starts to find himself drawn into a larger plot that has further-reaching implications than he could ever possibly have imagined. And if that doesn't sound bizarre enough for you, Zara... Have a listen for yourself. Arrived at the home of Arabella Isadora on September 22nd, 2035. I'm here to perform a preliminary audit. It appears we have no tax records for you or your property. Oh. I couldn't help but notice all the tapes have been not updated to the new format. You know, the air sticks became mandatory seven years ago. I guess I lost track of time. I will begin my audit immediately. Yeah, this is kind of an odd one. I'm not going to lie. This is one for that crowd that really enjoyed the Greasy Strangler, but still watch Black Mirror. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was actually hearing that clip. I was automatically started thinking of... Do you remember that Clive Owen film a few, a couple of years back? And uh, everybody could watch for... Uh, they had some kind of chip in the eyes. I can't remember what it was. It's something similar. Oh, oh God, I do. Yes, thing. yes, I do as well. It's Escaping Me. Oh, what was that called? <laughs> it wasn't a Sky. It was a Sky original as well. Didn't they market it as a Sky original? Because I remember it being advertised as Sky movies all the time, and it escapes me what the hell it was called. But I know what you mean. It has a similar sort of a feel as that, but one that's mm. very clearly been more marketed at the festival crowd. If you know what I mean. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Cardigans galore. <laughs> exactly. Now it's written and uh, directed by, and and also stars both uh, Kentucky Kentucky Audley is his name. I keep calling Kentucky Audley. Kentucky, Kentucky Audley is one name. Kentucky, but it's like Kentucky, but a Kentucky. Um, Kentucky Audley and Albert Burney. and Albert Burney's, I think, dad Reed Burney appears in the movie and he's very much like a Tracy Letts type, like that guy from that thing. Uh, the performances are good in part, largely on Reed Burney's part. Um, but other than that, it feels like a, a very slapdashery amateurish take on what it needs to be. It doesn't feel as as well thought out, funnily enough, for a movie about dreams, it, as well thought out as it would as it would need to be. It's, 
Yeah, it's a bit much. I, 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 I struggled with it, to be real. It's only a short film, but it's one of those. It's mm. Mo from The Simpsons. It's Poe Mo. It's weird for the sake of weird. You know, it's, oh, you know, it doesn't <laughs> quite work. Never quite comes together. And the, there are elements in there that I can appreciate. Like, it wants to be like a Terry Gilliam film at times. It has, uh, you know, it has an eye on Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. To it, like I say, the Adjustment <laughs> Bureau, that kind of thing. But it, it ain't half the film that any of those are. And yet it has twice the number of ideas. It's a very strange blancmange of a movie. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... It's, it's aesthetically, it's weird and quirky and, and something unusual. It's worth seeing for Dan, I suppose. But this ain't going to particularly entertain anyone. Unless you're a Greasy Strangler fan. You know what I mean? <laughs> does it have, um, I mean, does it have dream sequences in there? Is, is there a kind of like those kind of hazy, kind of wavy kind of line things going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they involve like man-sized mice and <laughs> travels into the cosmos and all and pirate ships and giant blue demons and all sorts of bonkers stuff all of which is made to look as like cheap like intentionally cheap and, and j- janky as possible like they've done that like that's the aesthetic you know what i mean yeah yeah actually actually you say the giant mouse i now remember the trailer I, and I remember seeing the giant mouse yep. in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, yep, you remember. Okay, it, it kind of it's sticks all coming out. Back to so, me. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, I suspect anyone that is going to be a fan of this, I suspect already knows about it. If I'm being right, it's one of those kind of films. Uh, it's in cinemas and on VOD from today, from Friday the 16th. It's the 16th, isn't it? Yes. And mm. alongside that in cinemas, you can also find a three call I've been waiting a long time for. Uh, well, since it had been announced. Kind of hoped we'd have more rats too first, if I was really honest. <laughs> uh, two more, two rats, or whatever it was going to be called. Um, or still more ratting. But alas, we have Clerks 3 first, in which uh, Kevin Smith returns for another go. Uh, Zara, you want to tell us about the, the plot of Clerks 3? I, I know you, you, you had the pleasure of this one. Uh, how, does, how does Clerks 3 go for us? Oh, right, okay. Well, I know you're a big fan of this type of film, but I am not. Um, <laughs> but basically, this is two middle-aged men still stuck in a, a convenience store. Uh, one of them has a heart attack and decides to have a, a, a reawakening of what his life is like and what he leaves behind. So he's not quite happy with that, so he decides to make a movie. And, uh, well, this being Kevin Smith, of course, three guesses what movie they make. Never seen a whole movie set in a convenience store before. Right? Thank you. I'm going to fill the script with all the weird me and Dante have ever said or seen around here over the years. Oh, you should put in that stuff you used to say about the Death Star contractors. Get sued by Disney? That. Besides, I don't want this movie to be about other movies. I want it to be about me. It's my flick, so I want to write about the things that I do. Like, um, like how we play hockey on the rooftop. I've never seen that done in a movie or a TV show, even though it's just practical. <laughs> Remember that fight where I hit you in the face with the bread? Oh, that could be a scene. <laughs> By the time I spit water on that old guy, that's like the <gasps> opening scene. Ooh, I got an idea. Maybe Jane Silent Bob could be characters. That is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, I'll tell you what, we should, here's what we should do, Zara, with this. We've got three minutes. Okay, three minutes to talk about Clerks 3. Uh, I think, okay. given that you're the non-fan, your opinion carries mm. more weight than mine. So I think, here's what we'll do. I'll take a minute 
and then you take the final two, and yours will be the opinion we land on, I think. Oh, great. I'm going to breeze through this in 60 seconds. Okay. So, first of all, this is not the best of the Clerks trilogy. It's actually the weakest. The the best actually is the first Clerks. It's the law of diminishing returns. I think the second is very good, if a little bit twee. Thing is that this delves way too far into that. Kevin Smith always overdoes it with the schmaltz and the cheese. Here, he's doing that in space. It doesn't quite work because largely the entire character arc given to half of the ensemble, which is Dante, you know, our primary antagonist, is frankly just a bit too melodramatic and soapy. When you then got that contrasted against Randall, who's a character who gets the more involving sympathetic plot, despite having always been a relatively unsympathetic comic relief. And Jeff Anderson doesn't particularly play that that well. I do think some of the stuff works, but it is kind of Kevin Smith's Be Kind Rewind. If you're being charitable, if you're being less charitable, you can point out that he already did this exact movie when he made Zack and Miri make a porno. So what you're getting is Kevin Smith post-heart attack basically addressing his legacy. Is that a good thing? Yes, for the fans, but academically, this looks like the most slapdash and amateur of all the films he's made. It looks like a YouTube video. I'm not even kidding. And I think cinematically, it's not up to any, it's not even half as much in the value category as either of its two predecessors. Over to you, Zara. <laughs> I actually try to kind of agree with you wholeheartedly on the whole thing. It does look really, really cheaply made. Um, mm. And it's also, it's it's quite generic. It's You've seen it once before. And the only, but you did. I mean, you I have. was. Well, you yeah, considering. <laughs> yeah, but I've never I've never seen any any of these films. Uh, so I, that's the thing. You don't need to see them, I don't think. Mm. I think it's, I think it's pretty self explanatory going into this without seeing the others either. Um, it is, yeah, it's a bit emotional in there as well, which is a bit, yeah, like you said, a bit schmaltzy. Um, but I was, what I was shocked about more was obviously you got Jay and Silent Bob in there and you got mm-hmm. Kevin Smith turn around and he's, he comes out with this massive dialogue about <laughs> him being a filmmaker. And it's like, oh my God, what? <laughs> and it's it a very meta really moment, isn't it? Yeah. It, very meta moment. Um, yeah, but for me, it's just like, uh, you could have done better, mate. You've been around a while. <laughs> uh, would you? Would you agree as well? Because I found I found it very overindulgent. Like there were a lot of. I thought there was a lot of the humour was dragged out long past the point that had been funny. I thought of the scene. And there's a scene in which Randall is talking about having to expose himself, so to speak, to his friend and having always bragged mm. to him about his size um and i thought that joke for instance goes on way past long long past the point that it's it stopped being funny and yeah. it, and it becomes the whole and there's a lot of that i think in the film it's, it feels like a film that you know has been made outside of the studio system because mm. clearly no one has been been around to tell him no <laughs> yeah definitely it's it is i think it's more like a, a passion project and he is trying yeah. to yeah, he's trying to, well, just live out his life on, on screen, really. <laughs> and you know what? If there's anyone that should that can and should do it, why not Kevin Smith? So Clerks 3, um, do you know what? The fans are going to go. I'm a fan. As, as a fan, I loved it. As a film critic, less so. Um, mm. But you know what? The Clerks trilogy has a, a fond place in my heart. So, you know, I'll always give Kevin Smith the time of day anyway. Uh, Clerks 3, out now. See it in cinemas from today. Welcome back for another round off-screen, sticking with the new releases for this week. Uh, let's go with one. This is being sold as an IMAX event, I think, primarily, and, and 
obviously, having seen the film, you and I, Zara, I think we can uh, mm-hmm. we could probably agree with that marketing assessment. I think we've, we've said in discussions, definitely an IMAX experience. It's Moon Age Daydream, the first yes. cinematic project officially sanctioned by the Bowie Estate. So, I, I, you've seen this, Zara. Uh, would you like to? Would you? Would you like to talk some about uh, about Moon Age Daydream? Take us through. Do Moon Age Daydream? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, this is from Brett Morgan. So he done like a documentary on Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Cobain. So Cobain, yes. what was it? Montage of Heck. Yeah, um, that was this one, is, yeah. yeah, this is, it's, this is a quite a trippy little, little, it's very long. Um, <laughs> it's a kind of, a, <laughs> it's a, it's a kind of experimental cinematic odyssey. So it explores Bowie's creative, musical and spiritual journey throughout his, obviously his, his life. Um, but, To me, it's more like just one long music video. Are you there, David? You're aware of a deeper existence. Are you there, David? Are you there, David? Maybe a temporary reassurance that indeed there is no beginning, no end. And you find yourself struggling to comprehend a deep mystery. That's going to be stuck in my head all bloody day now, isn't it? Oh, wow. Cheers, Brett. Okay, so Moon Age Daydream, we both had the pleasure. We sat and we watched this in uh, Universal Screening Room on uh, Monday, I believe, you and I. And uh, yep. it was it was two hours and 15 minutes long. Let's, let's get that mm-hmm. out the way. Off the bat, it's two hours and 15 minutes long. Zara, do you think this justified two hours and 15 minutes in length? Oh, hell no. You could have shaved yeah. off at least 40 minutes of this. It's just that there was times where it was like it, it got so much that my eyes needed to close, unfortunately. <laughs> I was still listening, it's, but we, my eyes needed to close. Yeah, it's a sensory overload, isn't it? Because like you said, it's mm. so trippy. You get mm. to that 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 point with it where you are just exhausted having sat through so much of this it's, it's kind of like being being a pink floyd concert it, it, it's, <laughs> it's one of those just exposed to so much delirious you know insane tri- trippy is the only word really trippy yeah. is that just this, this vivid surrealist landscape for you um yeah, it's like um, an extended music video exclusively assigned to David Bowie's patented and eclectic grab bag of mismatched global philosophies. If, if you look at that, it's like nothing you've ever seen. Cool. I mean, it's kind of like Strawberry Mansion that way. At least it's unique. You've got to give it that. But I think it's one for the hardcore fans only. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, the hardcore fans are going to absolutely love this. But what did strike me was halfway through it. Obviously, there's obviously a montage piece where he, he's doing interviews. And it just yeah. it, it hit me that our, our generation of kids these days think they gave birth to the whole gender neutral thing. It's like, no, yeah. no, 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 Bowie. You go back to the 70s and Bowie did. It's like, hang on a minute. Uh. <laughs> I think some of them worship him as their god. To be fair, I mean, you know, most of them don't remember when. Sure, he's they know who they are, but, who he is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, how long has Bowie been dead? Now? Is it six, seven years now? Bowie's been gone. It's twenty sixteen, wasn't it? Twenty sixteen, he god, died. Yeah. Puts it six or seven years. Yeah. But uh, Moon Age I enjoyed it. I wished it was shorter. Uh, but I think for hardcore fans, it is essential stuff. And I do think hardcore fans going to the IMAX are going to be in for one hell of an experience. 
Yeah, actually, that uh, that's that got me because I asked Universal for a screening link, and they were like, "Oh no, you need to see it in the big screen with Dolby <laughs> surround sound." And then we're in the send us to Universal screening rooms, which you know it is a big screen and it's a good sound system, but you just it's thought not they an were IMAX selling, screen. Come on. Uh... <laughs> When, when they said big screen, you thought they were selling a vast screen, like within that concept. I know I always get that with with with, with a bunch of screenings, like event movies and things. Like, oh, you gotta see it on the big screen. Like, oh, we do an IMAX. Oh, cool. You're like, no, no, we just do the screen. Oh, okay. You do realize, like, I sit two meters away from my TV, and it is the size of my couch. You know what I mean? Like, and come it, on, it guys. is huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's Brunei's Daydream, uh, which is in cinemas from today, and specifically in IMAX cinemas as well. So if you do get that experience, I do recommend seeing it in IMAX. I can't. I do wish I had seen it in IMAX. Obviously, you do as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can only imagine. Like, I, I'd be tempted to go back actually, but yeah, time and money. So onwards to uh, speaking of time, and money, and all. Let's get a ticket to Paradise, Sarah. Um, do, do you want? Do you want to talk about this, or do you want to talk about Ticket to Paradise? Have you recovered from Ticket to Paradise enough from the numbness? I think of, of Ticket to Paradise enough to talk about it yet? Uh, kind of, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, here. We go. We've got uh, George Clooney and Julia Roberts reuniting. Um, and they play an old married couple and their daughter basically decides that she's going off to Bali for a, a trip after she graduates. And there she falls in love and decides to marry a local. And it's down to them to go over there and try and talk her out of it. Effectively, yeah. I mean, you missed out the bickering divorced element of it because that's oh, going to be a, a yep, key thing. Sorry. But <laughs> perfect otherwise, give it over to George. I'm sorry. I think your things are in my seat. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Oh, come on. You've got to be kidding me. Excuse me, ma'am. I need to sit somewhere else. We used to be married. Worst 19 years of my life. We were only married for five. I'm counting the recovery. In four days' time... Our daughter's going to marry a guy she just met in Bali, millions of miles from home. I just really want to kiss you. It's like I looked up for the first time and realized everything I ever wanted was right in front of me. She's throwing her career away. Just like her mother did. So I'm the only one who can stop her. She doesn't listen to him. Oh, champagne! Oh, two, please. Just leave the bottle. Thank you. Yeah, this one, I mean, how best to go into this one other than to start by saying he did it better in One Fine Day and she did it better in My Best Friend's Wedding and everybody did it better in Father of the Bride, the remake. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a rom-com without the com. Actually, there's no <laughs> rom in there either. <laughs> yeah, so it, it is a, it's a film. <laughs> It's so weird, isn't it? Because it does. It, it it has that feel of you know when Adam Sandler would say that he he made his movies by literally just like wanting to go on vacation with his mates, and that's why they kept <laughs> making grown ups movies because that's effectively what they were doing. They were just going on holiday and making a movie while they were doing it, and you got that sense when you watched the movie. This feels like that for George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Just like you know what I I feel like. You know, making something. You know, I've had the pandemic. I, I want to like just belt something out, like just something that's not like that challenging. No one's going to really care about it. Have we got like a? Is, is there like a fifty million like studio rom com like, about that we can like <laughs> nothing too brisk, just yeah, a couple of laughs. Just a couple of laughs will do. Kind of just somewhere nice, somewhere warm, and like that sort of logic. It feels like one of those projects. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you got. Um, I think George Clooney is having the time of his life here. But oh, Julia yeah. Roberts, she just sucks the life out of every single scene that she's in. It's just like, 
seriously, woman. So give it, give it, very, give very it some much kind so. of life. No, no, absolutely. And she, it, she's so sort of sour faced and, and just, just kind of crabby all the way through it. She shows up, for instance, in in this, and none of it makes any sense either. First of all, the whole movie doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> not just, I mean, the, the the plot and the story work, but the actual like minute to minute mechanics of the movie simply don't work. Because I put it this way, I, I think at one point we noted that age wise, uh, George Clooney and <laughs> Julie Roberts were meant to be forty two years old, and we just laughed through that. And yeah. I think if you listen to the clip you'd have to add an extra five years and they'd be 47 in which case you still have to laugh and giggle at that <laughs> idea which is really saying something um billy lord steals this but the minute to minute mechanics still don't don't get overridden they still can't get sort of hidden away by that shine of billy lord you know literally rocking up and owning it uh caitlin diva as the daughter is why i think is great um i just yeah. It just feels like you say, there's no com, there's no rom. I don't know how this pair of Hollywood megastars have so little chemistry. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't get over the whole fact as well. I mean, it's not very well written at all. Um, And you've got obviously got, it's obviously written by a man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, written by a man. Um, but he's also got Julia Roberts' character. She she has no well. She's having a love affair with a younger man. He's a French <laughs> younger man. He's very he's very very yeah, pretty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know she gives him up. Right? Yeah. So, sorry. In, in what universe would you give him up for George? Well, he is George Clooney. I get that. But come on, this is a younger version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I grant you. I grant you. But. Uh... You have issue with the this means war of the story, I think. But is, is the way I said. But yes. yeah, I see what you mean. It's a film that does feel like this is very clearly written uh, by a man because you you can tell that there's there's just, there's just no character development whatsoever mm. really given to Julia Roberts. She 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 gets to tell you things about her character, but she's literally verbally telling you it, and it's yeah. it, 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 it never feels like anything more than that. You, you know how. You, Clooney walks into the scene and you you feel like you get uh, you get everything you need to know about his character from how he moves, how he talks, how he is. You you know everything you need to know about that guy. And then uh, Julia Roberts' boyfriend turns to me, you know everything you need to know about that guy. Julia Roberts just tells you everything and you need to know none of it because none of it is important, none of it matters, none of it makes sense. And she's for some reason dressed up like Diane Keaton the entire time as well which is a very very weird uh thing i was so, i was gonna i was gonna bring that up actually i was like diane keaton baby bloom era is it baby bloom baby boom baby boom baby yeah yeah the thing is it there's a, there's a couple of parts that really work in this case caitlin diva and, and billy lord definitely the problem is it, mm. the only people that are going to find real entertainment in this are going to be the kind of people that like their affair really in the middle of the road. <laughs> Welcome back for another round of off screen, and this time we're keeping you on the couch. I've got to be careful to stop grabbing my mic by the mute button because I, this is, this is going to end badly for us <laughs> some of these days. But alas, let's start tonight. With, that, that's the action in my life. Let's go tonight to Last Action Hero, one of my very favorite childhood, very favorites. Uh, very childhood favourites? I'm not sure how you phrase that. One of my childhood favourites, nonetheless, uh, which is on tonight's uh, Film 4 on 11.20. You said you vaguely remember this from the time, I think, didn't you? Yeah, it's not something that I've ever gone back and watched again, so I vaguely remember it. 
it, yeah, it's how long ago is it? Nineteen ninety-three. Yeah, yeah, ninety-three. So it's it's coming up on its uh, its thirtieth anniversary. Thirty years next year. Wow. Last oh, action that makes hero, me feel really old. <laughs> I I had the poster on my wall for years as a kid. I love Last Action Hero. Such a great movie. Unappreciated in its time, but you know why? It was ahead of its time. That's why it began life as a script by the great Shane Black, writer-director of Iron Man 3. Thank you very, very much. And uh, I'm kidding. He also did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And of course, you know, Remote Lethal Weapon. And of course, you know, set the record for the highest paid screenwriter of all time. But, you know, until it was then broken by, I think, Joe Esterhurst later on. But beside the point, it then got rewritten and it became the movie we know today. Day, which again, still ahead of its time. I think it was written, rewritten by Zach Penn, who went on to do X Men and the first Avengers movie. Uh, in this, Danny Madigan, played by Austin O'Brien, who, trivia note, I think only ever did four movies or something like that, um, mm. is the young boy uh, who is sucked. He's the action movie superfan who is sucked into the cinema screen and into the world of his favorite action hero, Jack Slater, renegade LA cop, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, with such zeal that you genuinely genuinely come away from this wanting a Jack Slater movie. Um, as, of course, as the adventure goes on, they learn to use, you know, Danny's real-world skills to solve, you know, th- problems in the movie world and vice versa. As exemplified by this, frankly, wonderful moment in which real-world knowledge trumps movie. Ooh. The bad guys are in there. <laughs> you know something? I think you should be wearing this. I don't think I've earned it yet. You don't understand. You just solved the entire case. You just revolutionized the entire history of police training. I mean, all these years at the academy, studying human character, psyche of the terrorist, fingerprint analysis, all the courses that I've taken in surveillance, hostage negotiation, in criminal psychology. I mean, all I had to do is just drive around the neighborhood and point my finger at the house and say, the bad guys ain't there. You think you're funny, don't you? I know I am. I'm the famous comedian, Arnold Braunschweiger. Schwarzenegger. That clip just makes me laugh because I don't remember Schwarzenegger's voice ever being that high, but hey. <laughs> yeah, I, I think his accent's just gotten better over the years and you've just gotten acclimatised to it. It's one of those things, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like yeah. when your dog when your dog starts to get grey hair, you don't notice because you see your dog every day. Kind of like it's, and then you don't see him for a few days and you, you notice more. Um, I love that movie, though. I, I, will, I do revisit it every couple of years. OK, next up on, on Saturday on, uh, what is it, on Dave at 10pm, we've got Superbad. Now, Superbad's not, again, it's not one of those films that I, I was ever really a fan of. But we've got Jonah Hill and Michael, what's it, Michael Sarah? Sarah? I can never Michael say Sarah, that. Michael Sarah, Michael Sarah. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and they played two high schoolers who um, decided to stage a booze-soaked party, which obviously doesn't go to plan. But that's about as much of it as I remember, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think it's one of those movies that unless you're a man of a certain age, I think... And, and incidentally, can we touch on this? Uh, mm, free of you yes. guys. Come on. Like, can, can we let some of the women at the station have a go at picking the movies that you program into your Freeview channels? Because, goddamn, this is turning into a sausage fest. I mean, I, I, I apologise for our list this week. It is decidedly testosterone-drenched. Anyone who knows me knows... I love a good rom-com. I, I, I love a good female-driven drama. I, I need something... Other, even I need something other than <laughs> bro movies occasionally. Come on, people. 
that's saying something as well. You, we all know how you like your bro movies. <laughs> we do. And of course, you know, Dave, perfect channel for a bro movie like Superbad, which is an all-timer. I'm, I'm not slighting the movie. The movie's great. And Seth Rogen and uh, Evan Goldberg wrote and directed this. Uh, uh, Rogen mm-hmm. actually appears in it with the great Bill Hader. Lots of fun. Um, also something that's, I think, equally unmissable, although slightly more unmissable. Uh, Sunday night on Great Movies at 11.15. Uh, it's Snowpiercer. I'm not going to wax on about Snowpiercer because I talk about it a lot. Again, anyone who's ever met me. Uh, it's one of the <laughs> first five things you learn about me as a person is I love me some Snowpiercer. In fact, I might 3D print myself the Snowpiercer. I'd not even thought of that. Oh my God, that is happening. I'm surprised it's okay, taking you so this long. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've had a lot on, Zara, to be fair. Okay. Um, so Snowpiercer, all well on a train after the climate apocalypse with one of the best casts ever assembled for a, for a movie. and with Well, that wasn't Murder on the Orient Express, which, funnily enough, was also on a train. What is it about trains and massive casts? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Monday night, obviously, is going to be... It's going to be a heck of a day Monday, isn't it? It's going to be a long old day, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people out there that's going to be a, a bit fatigued by the amount of coverage that we're going to get for the Queen's funeral so why not better than Big Trouble in Little China? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just a natural thing. I naturally thought, you know what, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, it's the escapism of this one. I think it's, it's the classic, you know, the classic John Carpenter adventure. Uh, Kurt Russell as Jack Burton, you know, a, a Kim Cattrall. I love so much about uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Dwayne Johnson's always threatening to revive it for a, a potential sequel or reboot or whatever he's in. Reboot, I would imagine, something like uh, what you did with Jumanji. Uh, but I think it's the perfect escapism that you can kind of just chill back to at 9pm on Paramount on Monday and I feel like at 9 by 9pm on Monday night most people are going to want to slump back either in bed with the telly on or in the couch and just mm-hmm. get away from it all for a few hours and why not let Mr. Russell take you away although speaking of Mr. Russell he is in our next film as well for uh, for, for <laughs> Tuesday which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood do you, 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 do you want to tell us about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because this was Tarantino's ninth film i think i think it's his ninth but uh, you've seen this as well as me once upon a time in hollywood i think i believe you may be a fan yeah i can't remember i don't count how many movies he's made i'm not a massive fan of his but yeah we're here we've got leonardo dicaprio and the lovely brad pitt teaming up as um they're basically a a what was it a one a wannabe no not wannabe he's a tv star faded star isn't it fading faded star yeah basically and it's um, what can we say? I can't remember what I'm going to say about they're, it. Now. They're misadventures. They're misadventures. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know, through Hollywood in the summer of 1969, on the eve of the Manson murders that we, That's the Manson it. family murders that we know will not only change obviously Hollywood but also American culture. As we know, it has been argued that the 20th that the 20th century was arguably born that day, and yeah, Tarantino saw that and thought. Hold my beer. You know, I, I, I got to look after my dudes. Hey, hey and, and if your dudes were a better match for me, I'd say, oh, okay, you got me. But, but, but that, that's not the case, and you know it. He, he's a great match for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, no. Hey, you could do anything you want to him. Th- th- throw him off a building, right? Light him on fire. Hit him with a Lincoln, right? Get creative. Do whatever you want. He's just he's happy for the opportunity. Rick? Yeah. I don't dig him. 
I loved that movie. And do you know what? I'm finally going to buy myself that that yellow Brad Pitt shirt. I've always wanted it. I was always too fat for it. I'm going to have it now. Anyway, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 9pm, film four on uh, Tuesday. Uh, on to Wednesday then, and it's one of my go-to good time movies. I know you got to have been, did you enjoy, you got to have enjoyed this one when it was out, at least the first one, right? Yeah, it was all right, I suppose. Like you said, it's t- t- testosterone filled. I'm like, oh yeah, I could do without another one of those. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's okay. Guillermo del Toro presents Top Gun does Power Rangers versus Godzilla. Effectively, that's the movie. So, Top Gun style pilots inside the giant Megazord from Power Rangers fighting Godzilla esque kaiju in, you know, cityscapes around the world to prevent, well, why don't we let Idris Elba tell you exactly what? This is on uh, 11.15, Wednesday night, to the classic movies. Idris here is going to tell you exactly what we're preventing. Today. Today. At the edge of our hope. At the end of our time. We have chosen not only to believe in ourselves, but in each other. Today, there's not a man nor woman in here that shall stand alone. Not today. Today, we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today, we are canceling the apocalypse. I want, the, I want the guy from Independence Day, the guy who does the really overzealous salute, <laughs> the best salute in all of cinema, is that guy in the crowd scene in, uh, in Independence Day, who, just at that moment. Um, Pacific Rim, I love Pacific Rim. I, I hate the sequel, but I love that first one. I love it so much, I even forgive that terrible accent that Charlie Hunnam's putting on. <laughs> or at least you get here, you get Idris Elba that's not fighting a lion. It's got to be better than anything's got to be better than that. That is very that is very true. Idris Idris fared better against the kaiju than the lion, I think. <laughs> so on to uh, bringing back Mr. Pitt. If we're doing returning players this week, uh, full disclaimer: we are, uh, are, are we're picking Ad Astra only because it's the best of a bad bunch on uh, on Thursday night, nine pm on Film Four. Uh, the stuff to love in it, though, it is Apocalypse Now in Space. I was actually going to say the reason why we've got another Brad Pitt film is because uh, Film Four are doing a Brad Pitt season. Oh. Oh, is it now? Well, you see, you can tell I wasn't keeping up with the trends on that one. I saw the advert the other night on the TV. I was like, ah, that's why we got double bad pit this week. <laughs> I thought you were just getting more juicy publicist emails that I don't get sent. You see, this is usually the way. I thought they usually they usually tell you about all the cool stuff that they don't tell me about. But uh, there you go. So yeah. add Astra though, um, which uh, it it's fine. It, it's it's a great looking movie, and I think it'll work actually quite well if you've gotten into uh, For All Mankind in the past couple of TV seasons. Uh, mm. This might be one to watch right up your alley. I know my friend Nigel McInerney. I've never spoken to him about it. I bet you he loves this movie. He's the manager of Curzon <laughs> Sheffield. I bet you he loves this movie. I'm going to have to ask him at some point. But uh, at Astra, 9pm on Film 4 on Thursday. And that is it. That is your seven-day uh, guide to Freeview there. Seven movies, seven days. They can't all be winners, but we did at least give you some Kurt Russell.
Welcome back for one last ride off screen. And while we're going down the virtual DVD and Blu-ray aisle now with a stop through Streaming Central. That doesn't make any sense as a metaphor, but I'm going to run with it anyway. So... <laughs> Netflix from today. I've been quite looking forward to uh, to this one, Zara. Uh, Netflix from today. I'm doubly looking forward to it, having found out that Sarah Michelle Gellar is in it, and I'm, you know, me, I'm, I'm, I'm a Buffy, Buffy fan. Boy, your boyhood dreams, right there. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm a Scoob for life, you know. And Cruel Intent. I still think Cruel Intentions genuinely is one of the hottest movies ever made. There's no, and that's not even like the best version of that, best adaptation of that story. It's still the hottest, one of the hottest movies ever made. Um, alas, she is not the central player in this one, obviously, because it's a high school movie that stars mm. Maya Hawke, uh, who, you know, recently uh, hit big from Stranger Things. Uh, she is one of a pair of high school strangers who befriend one another and effectively do the plot of Strangers on a Train, where instead of that classic Hitchcock tale in which two strangers on a train swap murders uh, these two swap bullies and each sets out to take revenge on the other one's bully as anonymously and painlessly as possible as you can hear here max ruined my life he'll never get away with this hey do you want a ride i know what it's like to get over by someone you thought you could trust. Carissa Jones, she started a nasty rumor about me. She told everyone that I tried to hold her down and kiss her. Turned me into this predator. She destroyed me. I wish we could hire people to take them down. We should team up and do each other's revenge. Don't you want to make her pay? I don't want to make her pay. I want to burn her to the ground. Whoa. <laughs> You're giving off some serious Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction energy. Glenergy. I love that line. Right, I'm keeping Glenergy. That's now part of my repertoire. Uh, do Revenge, we didn't get the chance to to review because we, 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 we were having a bit of an issue getting all of the uh, screening links for a lot of Netflix releases, weirdly. does You always notice that it does seem to coincide with quality dips. Noticeably, yeah, yeah. Very... You, you just know when they're on Netflix a hot... don't want to give you anything, then you know it's not worth watching. <laughs> it's one of those things that when they're on a hot streak, they're very generous. When they're on yes. a cold streak, uh, new phone who dis, you know. Uh, so yeah. on to uh, Prime Video today, <laughs> very much so. Prime Video, uh, from today. Um, I really like this movie, it's been remade, um, in re- I think it's coming out soon with Naomi Watts. Uh, Good Night, Mommy. I think it's is it, I think it's Norwegian, a Norwegian chiller in which two twin boys are uh, young twin boys about uh, well under ten I would say are uh, looking after their mother who has returned and is recovering from surgery. They live in quite an isolated house, and she's covered in bandages from this facial reconstruction. And her suspicious behaviour forces them to ask the question: Has mummy really come home? And it's very very <laughs> chilling. It's very, very chilling. It's one of those that it haunts you. It sticks with you. And when it came, when the first photos came off the Naomi Watts remake, the image immediately popped back into your head and you were reminded, like, oh, God, that was creepy. Uh, So I can't recommend this highly enough. It is a subtitle film, as I say. It's a Norwegian film. Um, It is great, though. Uh, Don't just, like, sit by and wait for the remake. Do stick out this one because there's no guarantee that the remake's going to be any good. Uh, Even Naomi Watts has started some bomb English language remakes, although she has done The Ring. So she did The Ring like 20 years ago, so swings and roundabouts. Uh, Alas, one that I think we can say is an original creation, even though it's a sort of reinvention, uh, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, 
gets the <laughs> yes. Guillermo del Toro treatment in our latest arrival to Disney Plus today. Um, the Shape of Water. Were you a fan of The Shape of Water when it came about four years ago? Were you a fan, Zara? I was, definitely. It's, it's that whole woman woman falls for fish, man. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> it's just nothing, you know, there's nothing quite like it out there. We've got Sally Hawkins here, who, is she a, a mute or is she? She's, she, a, she, mute no, she's a mute janitor. Mute janitor of a CIA bunker facility. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's based in the 60s and it it holds an amphibious creature in captivity. Um and it's she basically takes it under she she takes a liking to it and decides to care for it. But there not everyone's on her side. Incl- including most notably the awesome Michael Shannon. Yes. Well, you look at this. Look. Some of the best minds in the country peeing all over the floor in this here facility. Mm, mm, mm. There's pee freckles on the ceiling now. How'd they get it up there? Just how big a target do they need, you figure? And get enough practice, that's for sure. My Brewster, no one's ever called him a great mind, but even he manages to hit the can 7% of the time. <laughs> Excuse us, sir. No, no, no. That's all right. Go ahead. You ladies seem to be chatting enjoyably. Girl talk, no doubt. Don't mind me. I do love a bit of Michael Shannon. Uh, great actor. And do you know what? Every Christmas, he charms me all over again in the wonderful The Night Before, which I'm looking forward to again in, in, in the coming months. Um, on to our next film. It's it's The Courier, starring uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, which is on Netflix today. A, uh, I think it's a, a 70s? 60s, 70s set period piece British spy thriller based on a true story and we were trying to work out yes we've not got a clip for it it's a good movie uh, decent solid little thriller definitely one for the dads I would say because it really tick- <laughs> it really scratches that Tinker Taylor Soldier spy kind of itch but I finally remembered what the rival Benedict Cumberbatch movie was that was out around the same time as this and you and I were stumped yesterday trying to remember it the answers are have you had any thoughts has it come back to you yet what movie Benedict Cumberbatch had out around about a week or two before The Courier. No, I, I haven't thought about it, actually. We, we had the conversation and I've gone somewhere else. And I was like, yeah, it's not worth thinking about. <laughs> it, was the electric, it was the electric life or electrical life of Louis Wayne. See, I knew it was something to do with electrical. Yeah. I said, I said, you said, Anderson yeah, movie, you said, I? you said it was that, it was that electric one, the current one. I went, oh, the current war. No, it's not the current war. Although, wasn't he in the current war? Funnily enough, so weird. Yes, he was. <laughs> yeah. Right. What, what? What are you doing, Cumberbatch? Why do you keep making the same movies? I mean, he was in. Was he in, was he in Tinker Tailor? I feel like no, he wasn't. Sure. Anyway, The Courier on Netflix, Saturday. Uh, Monday uh, on DVD and Blu-ray. Next two, DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, Monday, we have a bit of a special relationship with this one. It is actually a documentary series that is being put out on disc. It is CNN's The Movies. They were one of our very first uh, uh, 
grandpartners when we moved this show to London a few years ago. Uh, very surreal experience dealing with CNN to do an ad. And uh, the, mm. the series itself, which I actually got to watch in advance, was really good. Um, takes different periods of Hollywood history in each episode and unpacks them, looks at the greatest hits, the highs, the lows, things like that. Uh, produced by Tom Hanks. Uh, there's a, you know an episode about the 70s, uh, about you know the, the, the new renaissance, Hollywood new wave and things like that. Uh, the, the blockbuster era of the, the action the action cocaine era of the 80s kind of gets into it, it, <laughs> yeah. one. You know, the blockbuster era of the 90s, the move into fantasy and and science fiction of the, of the 2000s. And then, of course, the move into uh, uh, franchise, specifically franchise and superhero-driven content with the 2010s, which is going to be very interesting as we, you know, as we move further into this decade, and we start looking back on 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 the past one's contribution to that, uh, but on disc, the movies, CNN's the movies, uh, really worth a watch. I mean, even if you're just uh, if if you don't have to, even if you just like sort of you know, I like a film. If you just want to, I like a film. I'm not a big cinephile. I don't need the Scorsese list of the 100 films I have to watch before I die. I don't need to know no Jean-Luc Godard. Thank you. Fine. Fair enough. Still watch this because you're going to come away going, oh man, do you know what? It was really nice to be reminded of that bit in Austin Powers. I really loved that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wanted to ask actually, is it quite like a nostalgia trip? Yeah, yeah, very much. Very much. It, it's, as, it's as nostalgia driven as it is infotainment driven, I would say. Okay, cool. Does it also go back to um, the Golden Age of Cinema as well? Because that's one of my favourite periods. I think this one actually does. This one, I think, starts <gasps> in the 30s. Uh, okay. Because I, I think it compresses, <clears throat> it compresses basically the 30s through to the either early or late 60s into one episode, because obviously that period is largely musicals and epics. So there's, mm. kind of, you know, and westerns obviously. There's kind of the big three. And I think B movies get touched on. You know, what I mean, like do watch it. You see, what I mean, like, it is this conversation. Like, it, there's there's loads to unpack in it. And it's it's just a great crash course in the history of cinema. I had a ball with it, and I actually would go back and rewatch it again. Alas, one that we'll uh, we'll bring on to since we just mentioned Mr. Hanks, our last film of the week. Uh, do you want to queue up then? We'll, I'll let you queue up the clip. It is of course Baz Luhrmann's latest arriving on disc come Monday. It's Elvis, ladies and gentlemen. Take it away, Zara. Elvis. Elvis, we've got Austin Butler in the role of Elvis Presley. He does a brilliant job, covers most of his life, but not all of it. And we have uh, Tom Hanks playing his uh, his manager, Colonel Parker, but not in a very, very, very animated way. <laughs> have a listen, see if you can pick it up. Get a haircut, buttercup! In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. Well, you may go to college, you may go to school, you may have a pink Cadillac, but don't you pick nobody's room now, baby. Come back, baby, home, play house. You wanna play house? What all that? The wiggle. The what? Them girls won't see you wiggle. Move, man. Hanks there in Elvis, and so you know what I. It, it's we, we were saying it's, it's interesting how quickly that's come to disc. It seems to be because that film's like never really left the public consciousness in the last three months, and also people seem to pick it up quite late. So you know it's, it's arriving on DVD. I would say kind of a golden time. So it still get picked up uh, with uh, uh, yet more audience members. It's done very well at the box office, um, and next week looks like it's going to do. Ooh, 
Interestingly, at the box office, I think the mood might be a bit somber next week mm. for uh, for cinematic releases. But uh, Lena Dunham is back in cinemas next week. Not, I don't think so much on screen, so much as writing and directing, with her new movie Catherine Called Birdie, uh, which I, we're both going to have the opportunity to see. I'm glad to confirm we know that one in advance. Um, yeah, it is in us. It, it is in us all is next week, which uh, is, is written and directed by Antonia Campbell Hughes, another actress turned writer-director in a row there after Lena Dunham. Uh, So, good week for that. Um, Stars Cosmo Jarvis as well from uh, the great Lady Macbeth in 2016, who I always thought really should have broken out from that movie. He should have been a good breakout star from that movie. Maybe there was someone else in the cast. Who knows? There was only uh, room also out for next one breakout week. star from that film. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Who knows? Also out next week is Charlotte Rampling in Juniper, which I'm told is quite a twisty mm-hmm. little uh, dramatic psychological thriller. I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, oh, yeah, there's a little movie out next week with some pop star in it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> stars. Oh, it's, it's an actress turned writer-director, Olivia Wilde. <laughs> directing. Would you believe it? <laughs> Directing the breakout star of late 2016's Lady Macbeth, Florence Pugh, in a movie with, you know, some pop star named Harry. And Captain Yeah, Kirk. I think he might get a bit I think he might get a bit backlash for describing him that way, but there we go. <laughs> some pop star named Harry. Look, I'm as far as I'm concerned, yeah. he's not the coolest Harry we're going to be forced to watch on screens this next week. So there. Okay. Before the doom and to time. Also, yeah, and also, Captain Kirk is in this movie, so Harry Styles can do one. You know what I mean? Hail to the king baby. <laughs> Don't worry, darling, is in cinemas next week. We're gonna see it. We're gonna see if it's worth that little upstart having the unmitigated gall to goz on the great Captain Kirk. We'll find out <laughs> next week. Alas, that's for another time. Not today. I've been Van Connor. This has been Off Screen. I'm Zara Freeland, and we shall return. Listener.